Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're taking a close look at some of the key issues that affect us all and continue to dominate the headlines and comment pages. I'm Robert Miller. That means looking at global trade now that the Trans-Pacific Partnership has been revived with 11 nations, but not the United States. Oh, and who said this apropos world trade? Leadership is different from being a sucker and being a patsy. In the wake of some truly awful workplace practices, we ask what can be done to improve matters. And finally, we look at what Sterling's new lease of life means to your spending and investment habits. I'm joined by Robert Lee, industrial editor of The Times, Alexandra Freen, business columnist, and Callum Jones, The Times markets reporter. Thanks for being here and welcome to you all. Um, Bob, I'm going to start with you. That clip we played at the start is uh, from Wilbur Ross, the US Trade Secretary, speaking at Davos. Here, in fairness and balance, a little bit more of what he said. We would like to be the leader in making the world trade system more fair and more equitable to all of the participants. It's not a lack of leadership. It's not a lack of willingness to lead. The fact that we have some issues with the present system is different from the idea of whether we're prepared to take leadership. Bob, are you worried about global trade as we know it now and very much part of of what we are? And specifically, how would it affect Britain if things are changing? Things are changing. It's plainly obvious from our uh, position in terms of where we're going to be uh, apropos Europe with Brexit in, in two years' time. More importantly, I think it's interesting that the point he's making there is about leadership. That's something that we seriously do not have in this country at this time. And what is our position? Where do we see our, our position in the world after Brexit? None of this has really been enunciated. So we actually don't know. At what stage do we actually begin to know that? Well, after Brexit, but we actually don't even know who the Prime Minister is going to be after Brexit. Callum, we mentioned there at the top about how this affects us all. This is filtering through into the stock market now, isn't it? Yes, that's true. But just on the point about Wilbur Ross, here is a man who's talking about leadership in trade, when actually he must feel, to a point at least, that his hands are tied, because without support on every single issue that moves across his desk from the President of the United States he really might struggle. And we've already seen this come up already in the first year that they've been in office. So it's not going to be easy for America. It's not going to be easy for us in Britain. And it's very hard to call what global trade will look like in a year, two years, three years' time, let alone a decade's time. Alexandra, having lived in America and seen the nuts and bolts of how it all works, we've seen 
plans to clamp tariffs on not just obviously airplanes from Bombardier and Boeing and Airbus and everybody else, but now washing machines and possible trade war, I'm given to understand, with places like Korea. Does this undo the status quo that's been in place for a long while? Or do you think it's a natural progression and maybe it is good for America? I... I really don't know if it's good for America, but I, I'm concerned. But as an aside, I would just mention, I was in Washington, D.C. when the TPP negotiations were taking place. They took years. And, you know, I spoke to a lot of the U.S. civil servants that were involved in those negotiations. The idea that all of that work was for nothing must be driving them nuts. It must feel like a lot of wasted energy. But I don't know, maybe maybe I'm being unfair to Donald Trump, but I get the impression that he is not listening to advisors who are explaining to him how things get made in the modern world. Cars, washing machines, they are made with components that cross borders. Sometimes the components cross over borders several times before they end up in a completed machine. And if you're going to put a tariff barrier every time that happens, it's going to make things very, very complicated, quite apart from the cost implications. And as I say, I might be being unfair, but I really do get the impression, particularly after what Donald Trump has said about the car industry, is that he doesn't understand how goods are manufactured. And going back to the the point about the frustrations of trade officials, trade takes time. You can't strike a major deal in a, in a day, a week, a month, possibly even a year. And yet the fact that major deals, major discussions can be struck by a tweet sent at half past six in the morning based on a feature on Fox News or Fox and Friends must be incredibly frustrating for US trade officials right now. We've heard speculation that Steve Munchen, the Treasury Secretary, and indeed Wilbur Ross, uh, we always keep on hearing this at the end of their tether. If they were to leave, presumably that's not going to change policy, Bob, is it? Do you think? Um, who knows? We've got to take a longer view on this. And people, you've got to start thinking about, is Donald Trump in the White House in, in four years' time? There's a great likelihood of that actually happening. He's, he was in there once, and it could happen a second time. Age may be slightly against him. But it, it's, it's all very well with the civil servants. They can take the long-term view. But in terms of how policy is laid out, uh, it comes uh, straight from the top. And I think that's going to be the issue. We, we just don't know where we're going to be in four years' time. Do we have any position in this, Callum? Apropos, I mean, yes, we like to be a proud nation. We're a trading nation. But the truth is... Where does Britain rank in, in these trading organisations and talks with them? Are we just a bit part player, I hate to say, are we? Well, our hands are tied pretty much until we officially leave the European Union. We can't strike any new deals. So until then, yes, a cabinet minister can fly around the world and talk to various different countries and various different organisations about the future and hypothetical deals which could be struck. But we can't sign anything until that moment when we take the plunge. Alexandra, how do you see it? You've travelled, you've lived abroad. Do you see Britain's place in, in, in the trading league going down as a result of having what it seems like no formal trade agreements with any trading bloc at the moment? Not necessarily, although I think there is a, a high risk of that. But I think uh, an interesting point is to look at where we have strengths in the UK. And in the tech sector, we are very strong, particularly in robotics, artificial intelligence, machine learning. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of entrepreneurs with great ideas. What we don't have is sufficient talent to grow those businesses to scale. And if we don't fi figure out the protocols for doing international trade, post-Brexit, particularly, are we going to be part of a digital single market or not? 
if we don't have that in place, I don't see how Britain's technology companies, which are very well placed, um, some of them to, to be major players in the world, I don't see how they can take on the huge tech giants of the United States and of China, because the way the technology is developing, it's, everything's going to be about artificial intelligence and data. And with China, with a population of 1.3 billion, America with 330 million, they've got lots of data. If we can't have our 500 million headcount in the Europe, if, if that's not available to us in the UK, we're going to find it really hard to grow our own tech companies. One interesting element of this would have to be Britain's relationship with America. So both President Trump and Steve Mnuchin, the US Treasury Secretary, have made a point of saying Britain wouldn't be at the back of the line here. They'd be at the front of the queue in terms of striking a post-Brexit trade deal with the United States. I'm not clear whether that's just them trying to poke a little bit of fun at the Obama administration, who made it very, very clear before Britain voted to leave the European Union that it would be at the back of the queue. President Obama said precisely that when he visited London shortly before the referendum, or whether they actually mean it. And only time will tell. Two of Britain's largest high-value manufacturers, Airbus and Jaguar Land Rover, neither of them are UK-owned. Uh, in the UK, we make wings for almost every Airbus aircraft. There's no reason why those wings couldn't be made in Germany or the US. Jaguar Land Rover is doing uh, research outside of the UK. Two or three of its latest models are going to be made in either in Austria or Slovakia. It tells you everything you need to know about Britain's place in the world. All right, well, that seems a good note on which to move on. And uh, let's look, as we said at the beginning, at the role of women in the workplace. Alexandra, I'm going to hand this one to you. Looking at some of the recent discussions we've heard in Davos and, of course, elsewhere, the role of women in the workplace, uh, it seems to be a very broad topic. This is how Justin Trudeau spoke about it, the Canadian Prime Minister. I'm sure there's a few of you in the audience who are thinking, I already have equal pay policies in place. This doesn't apply to me. But while I commend your effort on that front, it may not be good enough. For our own governments, pay equity efforts, while important, are just a first step. Because equal pay for women does not mean equal opportunity, or equal treatment, or equal sacrifice. Paying a female employee the same as a male employee doesn't even begin to touch issues around family planning, promotions, or job security. Alex, I like the way he put the emphasis there on, I commend you. It sounds like a school report. Good so far, but a lot more could be done. Would you agree with that? Well, before I say anything else, I just have to wax lyrical about Trudeau, first of all. Isn't he wonderful? I just <laughs> wish he was our Prime Minister. I just absolutely adore him and I follow him on Twitter um, avidly. He's just such a wonderful role model. But I want to pick up on a point he made there about people in his audience thinking, well, they've got, you know, equal pay legislation, so everything's fine. What are we worried about? Um, there's some research out this week uh, from the Chartered Management Institute, which is a professional body for leadership and management in the UK. And they did a survey of managers and they asked them, well, what's the gender pay gap at your company? A lot of people didn't even know what it was, but only 8% of managers could tell them what the gender pay gap in their organisation was. And 41% said they didn't have a gender pay gap. That is just not backed up by the evidence that we're seeing. So it, it shows that you, you can have these policies, but they're not properly implemented. They are not top of mind for a lot of managers. And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, that issue is done and dusted and we don't need to go there. What the CMI and other organisations are trying to do is 
to explain why the gender pay gap exists. And it's partly because women are concentrated in lower paid jobs because they're, the pipeline to promotion for women is often blocked. It's harder. There's also lots of tiny little daily things that impede women's progress in the workplace from being talked over in meetings by men to having their ideas stolen by male colleagues to just being dismissed as aggressive or assertive and all these little things add up and make it much harder for women to progress. It's a famous piece of research, and I can't remember, possibly Stanford did in the US, where they found that women who asked for pay rises as aggressively as men were considered, and I, you can't see, but I'm doing air quotes here, um, less nice than men. So there's even a penalty if you just ask for equal treatment um, as a woman. So we are nowhere near to winning these battles. And I think the um, amazing story in the Financial Times about the President's Club, that just shows that there are still a lot of men that are willing to allow themselves to be carried along on a, a rather um, unpleasant tide of uh, gender discrimination without stopping to think about it. And what the CMI campaign is trying to do is to get everybody, every time you see an example of it, just to call it out, not the people it's happening to alone, but everybody, and not just women, men as well. And we need to talk about these things. One of the things I was thinking there, it's like paying lip service, ticking boxes. We've seen this with corporate governance. We've seen it with excessive pay. Yet, despite all the various suggestions and guidelines put down, pay doesn't go down, it goes up, it's not equally spread, and I'm talking about all categories of people here. And yet they'll took the box saying, yes, we've reviewed this and this is what the Remuneration Committee have said. So what I'm saying is, isn't this a real uphill battle, though, to address some of the issues that you're talking about and address them properly, not this box ticking, to actually say it and mean it, as opposed to it going the way of all other so-called initiatives and corporate governance codes and best practice. Well, in that case, I'm going to point you to another piece of research. Is There's the moral argument. Is It's the right thing to do. Come on, guys, this is the right thing to do. End of story. But if you are not won over by that, or if you don't believe me that women are discriminated against, and I, I, I know from the comments I get on my pieces that a, lo a lot of Times readers do not believe that it's an issue and they think I'm just an annoying, you know, whingy woman. There's some research out from McKinsey last week on diversity in the workforce. And what they have shown is that companies with a more diverse workforce perform better financially. So there's a very strong business case for it. Companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 21% more likely to have above average profitability. Companies in the top quartile for ethnic diversity are 33% more likely to have above average earnings. So, you know, the reason for that is you allow people to be more authentic when they're at work because they don't feel they're going to be discriminated against and you're fishing from a wider talent pool. You just get more creativity, more ideas. It's a no-brainer. The government has uh, obviously now obliges employers to to publish their gender pay gaps. I think the deadline is March or April, isn't it? It's coming up and there are many, many more that have to report. And from the small bits of work that I've done on it, I've, done, uh, I've, had, I've called up companies, I've tried to speak with them about their data and they tend to publish these glossy brochures explaining why the gap is what it, what it is, how much progress they've made over time. They then tell you they haven't broken the law and then it's the end of the conversation. Um, certainly it really feels like this isn't an issue at the moment which companies are willing to talk about publicly and have an open debate about it. I don't know whether that will change after the deadline. Certainly the government is expected to be talking about it much more over the coming months, but it will be interesting to see because at the moment this is not an open discussion. 
Bob, the industrial beat that you cover, it covers the factory work floor, the manufacturers that you've talked about, traditionally often seen as very sort of male bastions. Have you seen a change in it? And do you think... The other issue here, isn't it, too, is about getting young people. It doesn't matter whether men or women, boys and girls, getting them in, getting apprenticeships, getting the proper level of skills. Do you Have you seen an improvement over the years you've covered the beat? No, there is no improvement. Uh, there was a piece of research out from the uh, Royal Academy of Engineering earlier this week. Uh, less than 10% people going into engineering are female. That's a statistic which hasn't changed in the last seven years, last 10 years. Rather than keep repeating the statistic, we need to actually answer the question, why is that? The, the idea of the Royal Academy is to go out and then using social media to try and engage with people. Is that really the solution? I don't know. I mean, uh, do you need to go into schools? Uh, do you actually need to define what an engineer is? There's all these strange statistics which bear no reality to uh, what, why it should be. So 7% of uh, FTSE 100 chief executives are women. Rather than just keep repeating the figure, we need to actually ask ourselves why is that the case? Do you think there are any answers? Well, uh, there are lots of answers. One answer that, that uh, I would put forward is that, you know, we've had a big push to get women on boards, which is great. It's it's a laudable aim and I hope we carry on doing it. But I think the real issue is to get more women in senior executive roles. Most employees don't even know who's on their company board. So sticking a few women on the board is not going to make employees in the workforce feel empowered or even notice. I think what you need is more women in senior roles to act as role models, to act as mentors, to show uh, men that actually they're more effective in many cases uh, than men because they've had to work harder to get there. You know, I, I long for the day when we can support as many mediocre female managers as we can men. Uh, right now, the women have to be so much better to get there. Um, so I think... If we can just shift our focus away from the boardroom now and to executive roles, and I think that appointment committees just need to be a little bit more imaginative when they say, well, there aren't enough suitable qualified women to fill these top roles. Look elsewhere, look in the voluntary sector, look in local government, look in academia, look all around you. Um, there are lots of very clever women out there and very competent and very skilled, but they get overlooked because they're not in the regular pipeline and, and so they're not as visible Follow their own advice, think outside the box. Well, thank you for that. Sit tight and we'll be back in a minute. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, finally, Sterling Callum, this is all yours. It's back to levels, well, not quite to levels that was seen before the referendum. That was, what, about 150, 151 to the pound, I seem to remember, in the... Uh, hours before midnight and the result of the referendum becoming known. Now it's creeping back up. What does that mean? Just spell it out for us in terms of investment, savings and our lifestyle. It was a telling moment at an event in Davos this week where uh, Philip Hammond and Steve Mnuchin, the US Treasury Secretary, were sat next to each other talking about how their respective currencies were doing. And Philip Hammond was talking about the pound. He turned to Steve Mnuchin and he said, thanks, Steve. And there's a reason why the pound is doing so well. Well, there are a couple of reasons, but we can't deny it's also because the dollar is fundamentally weak at the moment. We've had the White House in recent days describing it as, well, saying they believe in a free-floating currency. Steve Mnuchin has been saying that a cheaper dollar encourages trade and investment. They're arguing that there's nothing to worry about, but the the knock-on effect of that is that it brings the pound up off the sort of lows we saw a year ago. I think it was about a 30-year low. Obviously, as you say, it it was at 151-ish in June, it then fell, I think, as low as 130, if not slightly lower. Now it's back up to about 142, 143. And uh, two reasons. One, obviously, there are concerns about the US economy, concerns about the Trump administration, which is weakening the dollar. And to be fair, there are also there is renewed confidence in the British economy. We had good jobs figures, better than expected this week as well. So it's really lifting them up off those lows. Who knows what we'll be saying in a couple of weeks' time, whether this rally will continue. But it's been a very, very good month for the pound. Bob, uh, the other way of looking at it is a very bad month for the pound. Manufacturers have been competitive in this country because of the collapse in the valuation of the pound. It's made their uh, uh, what they do and what they export all of a sudden very competitive. Uh, an appreciating pound uh, will take the wind out of the sails of the manufacturers who have been doing very well over the last 9, 10, 12 months. Manufacturers will not be celebrating a rising pound. Alexandra, I can't remember, and believe me, I can think some way back to not just American presidents, but particularly their treasury secretaries. It was always strong dollar, strong dollar. We believe in a strong dollar. To saying it could sort of free float, find its own thing, almost sounds like a dollar devaluation by the back door. Would that set a precedent, do you think? Well, I think that's exactly what it is. I think it was deliberate of Steve Mnuchin to try and push the, the dollar lower. And it's funny because the Americans have always complained about currency manipulators. They'll blame everyone for manipulating the currency. And this is, I think, exactly what they're doing. I mean, they've got their reasons for doing it and they're entitled to do it. Callum, the effect obviously clearly on investments comes through the FTSE 100, doesn't it? Of course, although interestingly, the FTSE 100 hasn't really taken a taken a big hit. Obviously, it's dominated by dollar earners, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, how they'll fare on, on the stock market over the coming weeks. Obviously, lots of them, though, have been boosted by the Trump tax reforms over the past couple of weeks, and as they've more and more have come out and say that they're... they're overall rate will be cut by a few percent. So it'll be very interesting to see what the overall response is on the stock market. So far, so good for those companies. 
All right, well, lots to think about there. That's about it for now, but uh, do watch out in the coming days for trading updates and financial statements from Filtronic, PZ Cousins, the maker of Imperial Leather Soap and other things, Jules, the fashion retailer, Royal Dutch Shell and Unilever. There's all that and the other news and analysis online on your phones, tablets and in the paper. And if you aren't a subscriber, just go to thetimes.co.uk, sign up there and you can get our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins. If you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Robert Lee, Alexandra Freen and Callum Jones who have given us lots to think about. They're on Twitter, so please do follow them. Thanks for listening and please join us again next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.